Welcome back to the next episode of the NES Experience. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we'll be creating a YouTube channel pretty soon for it as well, so uh, stay tuned to that. This episode, uh, we want to shout out PTSM Affiliates, uh, great physical therapy rehab place, uh, do great work there. I actually went there myself uh, for my ACL uh, rehab after I got surgery. Uh, Drew there did a fantastic job on me, got me ready to go again. Uh, it was awesome stuff. So this episode, we are going to be talking about how to increase your velocity throwing a baseball. Uh, everyone loves just being able to throw stuff harder. And we also talk about weighted balls and, uh, you know, the pros and cons implications of using those to try and develop, you know, your arm and, and get to throw harder. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be this episode. And thanks for listening. It's March 20th, 2022. We're stumbling and bumbling, but this is March. We're here. Took last week off. Uh, also was March last week, but it's not the NCAA tournament. Should have probably done it last week, but we're doing it now. Uh, it's the NES experience. Here with Ned. Uh, Ned, do you want to tell us if you were up to anything uh, when we had our off week? Uh, part, of our, uh, or part of our off week was... Um, the family getting a puppy. So shout out to Cinny Simmerline, who is the newest member of our family. He is a half poodle shih tzu. Uh, it's big guy with a little dog uh, situation at our house right now. There you go. That's got to be fun. Uh, is he house trained, house broken yet? He his hobbies include peeing on the bed, shitting on the floor, uh, good eat, times, ripping holes in my Bombus socks. If you've never had Bombus socks, they're fantastic. That is a non-paid uh, shout out to Bombus. But no, the dude just destroys everything. It's basically having another toddler running around. He hides, can't find him. He's running amok. It's a general disaster. But he's really cute. And tiny. There you go. Awesome. Has he uh, has he met Daddy Fish yet? Uh, he. I don't think he can process. He's nine weeks old. I don't think he can look up that far. But him and Daddy Fish uh, have zero relationship at this point in time. Gotcha. Good stuff. Um, on a personal note, I have started drinking celery juice in the morning. Uh, yeah, that's really what I've been up to. Tastes like celery. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so we're going to do a few question and answers. Uh, going to do it a little different than the first time we did. Uh, we're actually going to set a timer for a minute. And after that, uh, Ned's going to try and stop talking. So uh, we got four questions and we'll just kind of rip it and see how it goes. So yeah, ready for the first one? I am going to try and not, well, the bell's going to, well, it's not a bell. You'll find out what it is, but we yep. will see if it will prevent me from going on tangents. So Awesome. So yeah, our first question is, what do you recommend for baseball in season? Did you start the timer? 
I did not start the time. So I will start the timer now. Go. Baseball in season. So we're no longer trying to get stronger, bigger, faster. Really, we're trying to minimize strength, minimize power, uh, take care of our arm. So things that you would want to do, you wouldn't lift more than one day a week. You want them to be basic lifts, uh, upper body push pull. So benching and rowing and then squatting and RDLing mixed in with arm care. Core becomes easier. You want your lifts to be 45 minutes um, or less. And then, you know, just don't do too much because you, you, you are supposed to do everything in the off season to help prepare you. No need to cram now to do that. So a lot of stretching, mobility, take care of your body, you know, minimize the amount of weight loss. Um, and it's just that day in and day out foam rolling tissue work, uh, keeping your nutrition right and, you know, not lifting too much, but I think that wraps it up pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, that does wrap it up pretty good. Uh, next question is I'm not from California, but this person is, can they sign up for an online program? Um, well, the answer from any sales guy is going to say, of course you could sign up for an online program, but we don't roll like that. So the answer is, uh, no, uh, we do have a remote program that is, but in order to go through and use that, you have to spend a good amount of time in the facility to, I don't know, learn how to do things the right way. Um, to, to the point where you can actually kind of roll it out. I have probably 10 athletes from all over the place right now but they're guys that have been with me for, you know, one to nine years. So I can safely give them a program to help them uh, and they can get results from it because they know how to read the base program that comes from, you know, our program in-house. But in general, uh, it's nothing less than reckless behavior to just go on to randomly give people online programs because who's monitoring? If you're doing things right, if you're using the right weights – uh, there's, ooh, ooh, there's the. Do you want to finish it out, or you want to go to the next one? We're moving to the next one. Next one, uh, next one's an easy or a basic one. Intermittent fasting, yes or no? All right. So for intermittent fasting, if you are a, if you are a NARP or non-athletic regular person, don't take it personal. So your general population who's not an athlete anymore. If it works with your schedule, so it's basically where you would fast for 16 hours and I'm sorry, you would eat for eight hours and fast for 16. So you're in timing, timing windows. Um, So if eating, you know, in an eight hour block, if that fits your lifestyle, you can get away with it. Uh, But for athletes, it doesn't work because they're typically student athletes and they have to you know, train for brain performance, which requires, you know, food and then lifting. If you try and lift on an empty stomach during a fasting window, you're not going to get as much out of the lift. So absolutely not for athletes and yes, for adults, but you should probably try and plan it out and make sure that it works for you. Ooh, I'm good. Yeah, no, not bad at all. Uh, Last question. What is the best nighttime snack if I'm trying to lose weight? All right, nighttime snack. So the big things, carbs are great. Carbs are necessary. Don't eliminate carbs from your diet, but carbs at night are not good. So we typically tell our athletes and adults, you want to be protein and fat-based, and that's because you won't store 
the fat from the excessive amount of carbs. It takes longer to burn carbs and fat. So um, you're less likely to store that as additional fat at night. Whereas a carb, when you take it in, you eat, I don't know, three, four bowls of cereal before you go to bed. Those carbs are going to process quicker and get stored quicker, um, which is exactly what you don't want to do. So I don't want to say quality does, you know, less quality is okay if it's protein and fat based. I'd rather see somebody eat a little pepperoni, some cheese. The best thing for athletes is cottage cheese, but nobody likes cottage cheese that has casein in it slow absorbing protein, which speeds up recovery time. So for athletes, the best thing to do is a cup of cottage cheese, you know, a half a cup to a cup before you go to bed at night. That is a duck timer, by the way. Yep. That's a duck timer. A little shout out to Jersey shore duck phone. Just a big fan of ducks. Uh, Ned, you like ducks, right? You uh, duck guy. We had pet ducks and geese growing up. So I'm a big duck guy. There you go. Uh, just a couple of thoughts, I guess, really quick on those questions. Um, baseball in season, that's a good lead into this episode. We're actually going to be talking about uh, trying to increase your throwing velocity, uh, things you can do. That's going to be more off-season stuff, obviously. Um, intermittent fasting, I've tried that. Uh, that's an interesting experience. And uh, nighttime snack. I know there's a basketball player at uh, Fairfield U, forget his name, like years ago. Um, they wanted him to gain weight, so they just had him eat three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at like eleven thirty before he went to bed every night, and then he gained twenty pounds. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that, but uh, I, I mean, it's totally different, though. So it is totally different. It's eating. <laughs> what the question was earlier was we'll lose weight, uh, lose yeah. weight. But yes, if you wanna, if it's when it comes time to our athletes gaining weight. Uh, yeah, you can smash peanut butter and jelly at night because you're a metabolic freak and it's not going to turn into fat. Awesome. So uh, we'll move on. And today we're kind of focusing more on uh, increasing throwing velocity in baseball players. So pretty pumped to have a baseball season uh, coming back to us now that the lockout's over. And uh, one of the most important things in baseball is just how hard you can throw. So I uh, wanted to talk about it today and why uh, throwing is just important. So, Ned, do you want to explain why it is? Uh, <clears throat> yes, I'm going to go over um, why it's so important as a baseball player to be able to throw hard, whether you're the, the college or high school, college, or pro level. I want to talk about um, because there's such a need, and people know that, especially baseball players, what you end up getting is a lot of people reaching out to online programs or remote programs, Um as ways to do this. So what has become what baseball throwing velocity has turned into is a little bit of fad diets, fat burners, you know, it's just these kids will do anything. I mean, anything to throw a ball harder. And that means they will try and do anything. There's no like, Oh, this, you know, this business online business, you know, they're not looking at credibility and this and that they're getting, confused by you know ringers coming in there and throwing hard and i mean you can manipulate and change statistics and results and you know any way that you want but they don't know what they're getting into and what i'm finding is when i get a kid 14 15 years old and they start with my program and they don't do anything else and just follow the system and the process there have been a way lower amount of arm related injuries 
than the people that I inherit once they come in. I train, I mean, 80% of my business right now is college kids, college athletes. They're coming in with Tommy John, you know, labrums, arms falling off, hairline fractures and elbows, just all this disastrous stuff. And once I get you after you've had all of these injuries, the whole process becomes way more difficult. But I understand that I'm not going to get everybody at 14 years old to, to come in here. But it's just, I, you know, this whole podcast is about educating parents and adults on what's going on, why they're doing it, and most of the time why they shouldn't do it and, and, and things that they should do to, to take the safest path. Um, because you don't need to do any of that stuff. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years and I don't do any of the stuff that they do and I get results and it's safer and I have a track record to prove, you know, that it's safe. So I want to talk about, you know, what a lot of baseball players and throwing athletes are doing wrong. And then, uh, you know, what we do, what our system model is, what we focus on to, you know, get athletes to throw harder. So why is it important? Um, it's a matrix that's used to evaluate athletes at all levels. So the, we're, you know, the Greg Maddox, Jamie Moyer, you know, days are kind of done. Um, you can't get away with throwing 82. I mean, if you're Zach Greinke, you know, Zach Greinke, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just, you know, that's the whole savvy old veteran, uh, cliche, you know, they learn how to redevelop their game. So, and, but, you know, everybody, oh, is that Grunky throws it? Yeah, but he didn't always throw it. I mean, he was throwing, not, he threw 90, 92, 94. He ain't getting into the Major League Baseball throwing 82. They learn how to redevelop their game, um, and they just have so much experience that they can they can do it, and it works. But from- I'm, I can't even remember, like, uh, the last knuckleball guy. I think he was, like, a Met. Um, Wake, Tim Wakefield. Tim Wake. well, yeah. the I remember him playing the Yankees all the time, but – yeah, I, I used to think there used to be like a, a handful of them in the MLB, and now it's just guys rocking 100. R.A. Dickey. Yep, that's what it was. And that's why Dickey has his name is because he threw a knuckleball in high school. And you know I don't like to call people by their real names. So w- right around the time, R.A. Dickey was like a Cy Young Award winner for throwing a knuckleball, and he threw a knuckleball. I got rid of the R.A., kept the Dickey. So Nick Kuja uh, is, is actually Dicky, So that's where that comes from. Um, so if you look at high school, so, you know, I want to go D three, I want to go D two, I want to go D one. If you're a D three athlete, you know, and lefties always get the benefit of the doubt and all these numbers, this is more for righties, but you know, if you're a left-hander, you know, you got to throw 81, 82, 83, even at the D3 level, 84. I mean, it's becoming more competitive. So these scales are moving higher. You could be 10, 15 years ago, you could throw 78, 77, and you would be okay. But now I have a pitcher that's playing D3 baseball. Uh, James Salemi would be his real name. Uh, his nickname is Salam, and I'm surprised I remember to say James or Salemi. But Salam throws 94, and he's at a D3 school. I'm not going to go into his whole story, but, I mean, you have everybody's throwing harder. So D3, you're looking at 80 to 83. I mean, that's pretty low end. You know, D2 guys are typically 85 to 88. And, yes, you do get your 90s. 
I have a couple guys on Southern that, you know, they're 90, 91. Um, you're getting D2 players that are throwing over 90. And then D1, if you're a right-hander, I mean, you got you to gotta be over 90. And then you have guys that, you know, 91, 92. So, as I said, you could just drop three or four miles an hour if you're a lefty. Good thing I'm left-handed, but I only threw 75. Um, but these are numbers that have to be hit. These, This is one of the evaluating factors of projecting you out to see what you're going to be. Now, if you're 6'5", 170 and you throw a little and you don't throw as hard, you have projectability. Oh, we can put weight on their frame and blah, blah, blah. And you can get away with it. But when we're just talking about pure arm strength and this is all those numbers are for pitchers, but position players are measured across the diamond and they have their own, you know, level of matrix that they have to reach according to what level they're trying to play at. So at the high school level, your throw, your velocity dictates the level that you go and what if and how much scholarship money you're going to get. Once you're in college, I mean, this it's a competition. So at the college level, it's, you know, you're throwing, you have to throw harder to win a spot um, and get on the field to build a resume, whether that's whether your career ends in college or not. But if you're trying to take it to the professional level, you're being reevaluated and measured again. So there's a baseline. So generally in major league baseball, you know, they want the guys throwing 95. So you want to re- you want to know if you can, you know, get drafted or get signed. Do you th- are you right handed and do you throw 95? Are you left handed and do you throw 91, 92? That's it. Like if you don't hit those, you know, and then sure, there's I'm, I talk about majorities, not minorities. So, um, you know, those are numbers that have to be hit. You want to be pro throw 95 that's how we know one of my d3 guy um you know and there's other things so for him i mean command and uh, can you pitch and projectability you know for him he's six foot whereas if he was six four you know they they look and they say long term you know there's more that we can add to this if you're five eight they're gonna be like you're tapped you know whether it's true or not true and then you can see tim lintz account mo i mean there's just data that shows that you're five eight, five nine. The longer your limbs are, the longer your torso, the longer your arms. All of this is measured, and that's how they agree with it or not. That's what's being done. Yeah, I mean it's just across all sports too, like basketball height wingspan. You know that ratio is huge. I mean, some people can think the numbers are arbitrary, but when the people making the decisions put a lot of emphasis in the numbers, you know it helps when you can actually hit those. They're just not going to look at you. Right. So agree or disagree, that's the world we are in. So we need to prepare accordingly and make pivots if we need to. And some people aren't making pivots. There are still people going around saying, yeah, but can he pitch? Well, he's not going to have an opportunity to pitch if he doesn't throw hard enough. So that's great that he's, you know, Greg Maddox Jr. But, you know, there, there's very few of those. There's one in college, but I'm right now that I'm trying to – I don't recruit, but I would really enjoy – this gentleman to come to my facility because he is an amazing pitcher. He has, he's, he's literally Greg Maddox jr. At the college level, he can't hit 90. So I watch him. I know he can make it. Um, but he's dealing with the fact that they are so, they're so resistant to change their view that I just need this kid to come. Just give me a shot. 
and you throw 93 and then you're in, you know, I still think that he's probably going to, he's going to get an opportunity just because he's such a good pitcher, but it would be way easier. He doesn't have projectability. He's not, he's under six feet tall. Um, but I know he can make it and I'm sure he knows he can make it, but we don't get to make the decision. It's the higher ups that get to make the decision. So, um, so that's the college of the pro level. And then at the pro level, I have pitchers at the pro level and there's numbers that need to be hit. Numbers need to be hit. Numbers need to always be going up. This is, you know, what we got to do. So how are, what are people doing to throw harder? Uh, assuming that they're not going to me and they're doing something. So we know that everybody's got the itch and wants to, you know, I need the answer. I need it now. So, and we're in a world of social media. So what you see is sponsored ad after sponsored ad of guys throwing, here we go, weighted balls, guys doing these things called pull downs. A pull down is where you run for 50 yards, throw the ball as hard as you can and fall on your face. Um, just to let you know, have you seen that before? I, I haven't seen pull downs. Uh, I haven't experienced throwing a weighted ball, although I was a throwing athlete, just not in baseball. Um, but yeah, uh, falling on your face when you throw just doesn't seem like a, a very good way to go about increasing velocity. Since we're starting weighted balls, this is this is probably going to be a little bit longer of a podcast. Um, but you know, look, the the problem is to not specifically focus on that, but these guys are creating their own system, whether it's been proven or not, it doesn't matter in a social media world. And they create, I mean, you don't see these hype videos and these sponsored ads with guys doing band external rotations to strengthen the rotator cuff, which is one of the best ways to throw harder. You see shock, uh, glare bing bang boom guys throwing their what looks like their arm's gonna fall off um dangerous high risk high reward weighted balls work they do make you throw harder i mean i don't i don't have to be in a lab to know that i have enough guys who have used weighted balls that have had an increase in velocity but it's risk versus reward these guys people are creating programs without beta testing, without injury, you know, when an athlete comes in here, if I hurt them, that's bad. That's real bad. So if for me, cause I try and build my business off of renewals and referrals, the unlooked component of all of athletic performance that you can't measure is injury. And, you know, I've had you know, basketball players that I've trained for five years that have never got a knee, you know, basketball and knee injuries, pretty common. I've had basketball. I can't say girls, but girls that, and, and guys that have gone five years and have never had injuries. Can't measure it. Is it genetic? Do you think it's a component of the training? Maybe. But my point is if I hurt somebody in here, that's bad. And that's not my goal. And that just doesn't happen. That's why we don't hurt people doing training. But when people and new athletes come to me, I, be, I do an analysis. <clears throat> I do a fact find just like the, uh, the gym settings. And I talk but, and I get their history. And there's always what I've noticed with all of anybody that has done a lot of these external programs that I'm not going to name. Most of them have elbow and shoulder related injuries. And there's a correlation between the time that they did those programs and when the injury occurred. 
So when um, not mentioning anything by name or whatever like that, obviously, but when they were doing some of those workouts, were they like supervised or anything like that? Or were they like, I mean, were they just going out like to the field, like doing it and then they felt something pop? So the answer is no, none of it's supervised because everything nowadays, thanks COVID, has become remote and online programs so what they do is they watch a video and then replicate and watch a video and then replicate and when i'm talking about this i'm not talking about changing mechanics even though you know so here's a unpaid plug to Coos pitching so one of my athletes who i bring up all the time nick kuja aka real name dicky uh dicky has uh you know uh he takes baseball players and can do an analysis on them and give them various things remotely to help change. They send the video back. There's more correspondence first off. And also it's, you know, a mechanical type thing. And I don't even endorse most of these because what you're seeing now is every pro baseball pitcher has their own face or has their own social media and has their own program and do what I do. And then it's now it's like, Oh, you have your own lifting program and you have your own mobility program and all their, most of their stuff is performance meatloaf where they take all these different things of everything that they have ever done. And then they put it all together and then they try and get people to do all the same things that they did. And you know that you can't train and have everyone do, you know, the exact same thing, you know, and expect to get, you know, results, especially for, now, if you've been doing it for 20 years like myself and you have a system that they go through, but even within that system, there's so many adjustments that happen seasonally, monthly, weekly, and even within the session, but you don't get any adjustments you know, with these programs. So for him, he's a different kid, super cerebral, super smart, uh, student of the game, you know, reads research, does you know all the things that you're supposed to do. He's a special person that can actually do this and and it's and it's okay but i'm giving you one person out of a whole bunch so and that's mechanical so when when i'm talking about what people are doing i'm talking about more performance facilities and then these sponsored business online businesses and what it is is they you sign up you pay your eft electronic fund transfer and you pay $30 a month 50 $100 a month and then they generally send you a program that they send everybody. So all they're doing is pushing and pushing papers and forwarding emails and pre-programmed content. It doesn't change for the person based off of their injury history or what their goals are. It is just cookie cutter, do this. And the answer is most of the stuff, it doesn't even work. So remote programs, it's like there are some unidentified businesses that will have you come in one time. They'll do their analysis and then you take their corrective exercises and then you go back on your own and, oh, you need to work on A, B, and C. And they, they kind of do a one-time thing and they you know do an analysis and then they write you a program according to that. It's not that the information and the things that they're giving back is incorrect necessarily because there's reputable smart people that are doing you know the remote programming. The problem is, is how are you executing the the program that you're, who's watching you, who's chat. I mean, I'm smart enough that if this is really the way to go, I would just like not be here and not coach. I'd be like, all right, everybody, I'm going to coach you all from home. 
and and that would be my business but i don't do that because that's not what's best for the athletes because you need to be able to make those seasonal you know monthly weekly and daily adjustments according to their mood state how overtrained they are what their imbalances are are they even doing i mean how about this who's making sure that you're doing it the right way because the difference between doing it the right way and the wrong way is the difference between increasing your risk of getting injured and decreasing your risk of getting injured. And this is all, you know, being overlooked. Um, so that's kind of the overview. But when you look at something like weighted balls, like saying weighted ball program is too general because I use weighted balls. I use med balls. Now the difference is when we throw med balls into a wall, NES, which I'm going to go into later, we train rotational power. And the best way to train rotational power is by taking a med ball and going through a rotational path and throwing, but we hold the ball with two hands. When you hold a ball with two hands, it, I don't know, cuts down the amount of stress on your elbow 50% because you're holding it with two hands. Also, the ball isn't as far away from the body. Um, and that's one of the, the aspects of our program that we found that works the best to improve, you know, ball velocity and throwing. But I've had kids that can't come off UCL surgery and they're maybe two or three months post-op and you're getting clearance from the best, you know, uh, orthopedic surgeons in the state that are like, it's completely safe. And the first time I heard it, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a safe, slow progression guy to minimize the chance of re-injury. So I was kind of shocked. And, but then I started looking into it more and it, you know, it does make sense. And it follows with what I say, you put less stress on your elbow. So I can have, I can safely start improving velocity. And for the record, this specific case, his arm was trash and garbage before he came in. So I'm not being on the hook for that UCL injury that he had. He already had it. We tried to save it by training and, um, physical therapy, PTSM affiliates. That was our our shout out wasn't it in the beginning yep it was so he went to drew and he thought we thought that he would be able to fix it and he couldn't but um but he was able post-op we were able to start getting back to where he was relatively soon after but you try and throw away the ball two weeks after a ucl surgery and you're gonna have problems and the problem is the in my opinion there's two things a the weighted ball and now once you say weighted balls this would be the one singular ball that looks kind of like the size of a baseball that you would go through your throwing motion um so the when you have the weighted ball too in my opinion when you put a weighted ball too far away from the body the the a weighted implement the farther away it is from your body the more stress it's going to be but it's the same thing with any weight you take a bar you move that bar 4 inches away a barbell you move it 4 inches away from your body it becomes a whole it's physics it's going to become a whole lot heavier and ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to hurt yourself there's a reason why we generally want to keep things in tight so the weighted ball you combine that with the frequency that you're doing it and, you know, now you're starting to play with loads because part of throwing harder. And we do this with med balls, varying loads, heavy, you know, really checking boxes on the force velocity curve. So you're going to do things heavier through a speed. And then when you go lighter, you're going to be able to go through that movement path quicker. So, you know, taking something that's, you know, abnormally light or abnormally heavy, um, those things can, in my opinion, uh, and I've seen happen, it causes problems. Now, 
this a lot goes back to the case by case basis. Am I completely against weighted balls? No. Do some of my pitchers do them? Yes. But let's start to break down, you know, the different components. So using a weighted ball program and taking pieces of that to do a warm up is good. And you correlate it with your arm care and your rotational work and things like that. So I'm not against the weighted ball program. And these specific people are either at the college or the pro level, you know, smart cerebral. The farther you go along, like I get, I mean, when I'm training some of these guys who have been training for five, six, seven, nine years, it's not a dictatorship anymore. You know, it's a, you know, it's a, we're in a relationship and, and I have trust that they know their bodies and they know, you know, what works for them and what doesn't. And are they, you know, so Dickie uses weighted balls. I'm fine with it. Um, in the beginning, I wasn't a big fan of it, but when I started to learn how well he can process and know, you know, what feels right, what doesn't, he understands that I got to back off on this week or I'm not feeling it this day. He knows how to make those finite adjustments to make sure that he's doing it the right way. He also has good mechanics. He also, you know, didn't start doing it until college. You know, it wasn't, but you're seeing, you know, 11 year olds and, and, and you're there's they're pre puberty and they're doing these things. Now, young kids, if you're teaching it for, you know, arm path and throwing, as I said, it's so case by case. Like if I have, you know, somebody who's, reputable knows what they're doing cares ethical knowledgeable and they're introducing it to a younger age and they're doing it the right way you know all of that if you actually are trying really hard and care and have knowledge and have a plan and a path and a progression that could be safe but no one's looking into any of this it's i need to throw harder go get weighted balls follow their program to a t and and go and I'm getting more and more people that are coming in hurt and then it's on me to fix the problem so now you did all this stuff on the back end but now you want me to get you to throw harder but it becomes way harder if you've already had all the and you either currently or had all these different problems so yeah and I feel like the biggest problem with it is if you just don't know what you're getting yourself into like if you just don't know how to properly do the exercises or what the weight load should be or how many throws it is with this specific weight. If you're just kind of just, you know, chucking darts at a board and hoping they stick when you go through a weighted ball workout, you're not going to have success. Like it's going to wind up hurting you a lot more than it can help you. And people don't care about the hurt because they're in the moment. They're emotional and they, nobody's doing their, I always say, do your research. Do and people aren't doing research; they're just going. So, there's that whole component of don't reach out. You should know the guy that's in. You know, your arm is your investment, and that's your future. And to me, I'm not going anybody unless I specifically know them and I'm in person and I trust them. And that's it's your body. It's your potentially your college scholarship, your ability to get drafted, or your ability to go to the big leagues. Those are some high stakes that I don't want to put in complete strangers hands, you know, to handle. So there's, so part of the, you know, there's that whole component of, you know, being pulled in every different direction and doing whatever it takes. And then there's the not, the non, 
you know, remote programs that, that athletes are doing wrong. So kids throw too much. They throw a ball. I mean, because of specialization in sport and never in baseball can be a 12 month process. Kids are getting thrown too much. Um, they're throwing too much. They're, they're shutting down for, you know, less and less time. There's pro guys that are influencing them, the genetic freaks where it doesn't matter because you're durable and you could just continue to throw a ball, even though they're all blowing their arms out. But, you know, you get guys like, I don't know if it was Trevor Bauer, but yeah, I throw every day, 365 days a year. Well, that's great because now I got people telling me, Trevor Bauer doesn't. You're not Trevor Bauer. And just because he's doing it doesn't mean that it's right. It's Trevor Bauer. It's not, that's not you. This is, goes back to the case by case basis. And just because Trevor Bauer does something doesn't mean you should do it as well. Is he the guy that's kind of crazy? Um, there's, there's a few people I've come to realize that are a little crazy. Trevor Bauer is, uh, you can describe him as a competitive psychopath. That, that'd be true. Him and Garrett Cole do not get along. Um, all right. So well, he, he's a, that. he's a special individual. We'll leave it like that. Um, so, you know, you have to shut it down. Your body can't perform at a high level 365 days a year. If you disagree with that, I don't know what to tell you. You should probably turn this off. Um, if you played athletics, you know that you just can't perform at a high level that long. So you should take time off, you know, whether it's two weeks, not enough, but, you know, a month, two months, you know, start to look at your whole, your, your annual plan and what you do throughout the year and you have to pick your spots. You have to figure out when to shut it down. When, do you, when should you shut it down? In my opinion, you know, in the high, if you're a high school player, October, meaning if you absolutely need to play, you know, fall ball in October, then, but November 1st, shut it down. And then, you know, pick it back up mid-December. You need that time off. Um, so now... And do you mean like just not throw at all? Or do you mean like, okay, I am going to go out there. I'm going to get, you know... Like I'm gonna start doing my, I, like for example, I mean I play quarterback. So when I was ramping up for a season and stuff like that, I would be like, all right, I gotta make these throws, these throws, these throws. You know, I have something to go work for. I'm gonna do that for two hours. It's intensity and yeah. effort. So, you know, do, do I mean don't pick? Yes, there should be a period of time where you don't pick a ball up. Now I'm not saying that should be a month and a half, but no, playing catch, you know is just is, is is okay but intent should be low and volume should be low and it's not the focus at, at all your number one focus when the offseason ends is getting back into the weight room and, and building and working on all the things that you've lost and what you want to build on and address for the upcoming season gotcha. so yes light throwing and is okay but it's 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 you know I see guys that will sh- shut it down for a week and they're doing run and guns and pull downs like th- like pro guys that are done doing run and guns and pull downs you know December first yeah that's that's uh, not a lot of time off not a lot of time off so the harder people throw the more stress it puts on your elbow so part of the reason everybody's throwing harder and there's you know there's a natural correlation with arm injuries because if you throw seventy five. You can throw 130 pitches and your arm's not going to fall off because you're just not generating enough force and torque and stress on the elbow to have it be a problem. Um, but there's a correlation between the throwing harder and more stress. And the more 
stress you are putting, the more we really have to look at load and intensity and manage that the right way. Um, you know, lower VLO kids can handle, you know, larger volume and then in higher VLO kids, you know, it should be a lower volume. So there's, you know, a correlation with that and that should be kept in mind when you're trying to design your off season program to do it the right way. Um, so what I, instead of picking, you know, I told you the example of Trevor Bauer, you know, I throw every day, everybody's throw every day. Blank statement is Trevor Bauer, but <clears throat> I'm okay with looking at, you know, shifts at the, if you look at the major league level now and NBA, NFL, all your, your big time professional sports, you're seeing more load management, you know, uh, football players that are not practicing during the week, old school, 30 years ago, you're going to practice hundred percent. And then now what we're looking at, it's like the, what's ultimately, what's the most important thing to perform at a high level when, when it counts the most. So you're starting to see shifts in all sports, load management, in the NBA rest, resting players, holding them out longer for bye weeks to let injuries actually recover. And then MLB, you're seeing, you know, your starters aren't going as many innings. It's becoming a, it's becoming a, a relief pitcher world. And you're seeing pitch counts being monitored. You're seeing more guys in their off season. The ramp ups are delayed and they're doing it. And there's a reason why this is all being done and it's to manage injuries and to perform at a high level. So now, although I'm a baseball historian, and I love my Nolan Ryan and his 250 innings and his 370 Ks. You're not going to – nobody's breaking any strikeout records because nobody's going to get enough innings because the game now is if you're a starter, you're going five. Yeah, I mean, they even have people, you know, like openers and stuff like that coming out of the bullpen to pitch the first inning or two. The I don't know if Tampa Bay is still doing it, but they were somebody where, yeah, you'd have a guy come in for two or three, next guy two or three you know, and singles through the end. And I don't know if that's going to pick up and everybody is going to kind of really hope not. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want it to go that way either, but you know what MLB is doing, right. I mean, some of it can be a little bit excessive and a little bit of bathing, but they understand what the hell is going on and they're not going to accept that they've, they now understand that it's not 1990 anymore. And this is our new world and this is what's going on. And this is their, way that they're managing it to, you know, be successful. So if MLB is doing, is being so careful with this whole plan, uh, why isn't everybody else doing it? Cause to me, it makes a lot of sense and it's not being done at the college level either. Kids are getting overthrown in college. Um, so you would think that if everybody wants to cheat off what MLB players are doing, we'll cheat with the cheat off what the MLB is doing and they're not killing arms and they're picking their spots, taking more time off, you know, increasing the amount of rest in between, not trying not to throw guys back to back days and just being really aware instead of, you know, you're just a fucking pussy go like that, that, that mentality doesn't, you know, work anymore. Um, another thing, too many showcases. So showcases and events, um, what used to happen is, so when you look at baseball for a high school player, you play, you know, you train in the off season, March 15th hits, you go into your high school season, which is typically less important. Then you go into your summer season where you play better competition. Um, and then what you see is you see, you used to see showcases that would be basically the showcase time would be, you know, 
summertime, fall time. And it was like a six, seven month block where you go to these unnamed places and they register your velo and your 60 speed and your exit velocity and all these things. And now because it's a business, you're going to hear a lot of me saying business in these. Now that it's a business, they're doing them 12 months out of the year. So, and that's not, so this goes back to how are you supposed to throw hard 12 months out of the year? So these kids are, they're going to showcases now at the worst times. There is a showcase March 2nd. I've never heard of a showcase March 2nd when high school season starts March 15th. And they're going in and they're, you know, the way that we design our baseball players, you're going to generally throw your hardest. My program is designed to allow them to throw their hardest, not in March and April, because that's the least important time to throw is March and April. That you need to throw hard in the summer, June, July, August, September, and October. That's when we need to throw hard. If you're at the high school level, because that's when you're being evaluated and you're at showcases with coaches, if you're at these various events, you know, for that time, though, that's when you're supposed to throw hard. But now they're putting them in December, January. They're filling the off season up where you're supposed to be trained to perform. I'm, I'm all for the showcases. It's a way to get registered numbers. It's a way to build profiles and to help with the recruiting process. I'm on board with all of that. But stop having my kids do, you know, the November. Like we're in, we're in, in November, we're in week five of off season training. We're not trying to throw hard and we're trying to, you know, throw hard at the right time. And it's like, there, there are the, that's grabbing kids that are already fatigued who have gone through seven months of throwing. And now you're gonna, and for you, you're, you're not doing yourself, uh, any help because you're not going to perform as well when you get those measurables done, because your body is just, Part of the reason why injuries occur and decreases in velo occur is because your body is sending you signs and symptoms that you need to either acutely shut it down, meaning back off for the week or two weeks or long term shut it down, you know, for the season. And this is so you're not helping yourself by going to these events at the wrong time. You're better off not going to them, training and getting ready and then displaying your best, you know, whether it's June, July or whatever. So, um, yeah, there's just there's generally just too much baseball being played. So if you if anything that I just said in those past whatever 10 bullet points applies to you, um, you should try and make some adjustments and not do those things, because this isn't me trying to shit all over, you know, all these various programs. But uh, you're just not going to sell me that doing a remote program with no guidance is the best way for you to throw harder. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, and I mean, obviously this is baseball specific, but I, I tried to pitch a little bit. I mean, I did pitch a little bit, obviously, as a kid and stuff. Um, my arm hurt all the time throwing a baseball and stuff. I actually stopped. That's why I played football and stuff and, you know, was able to throw there. I didn't have any throwing pain uh, just because of mechanically I was better. But just the amount of, of stress you put on your arm – trying to to train I mean I was doing exactly what you said like it was in high school trying to throw harder in December just so I could be like oh I can do this now and then I'm able to go play baseball but then it got to a point where I was just like I got stopped this is hurting me too much uh just a lot of baseball a a December velo hero is my worst nightmare I was also like 12 oh so 
and 13, you know, like, and it's just, but the mentality of like a, a 12, 13 year old is like, Oh, I'm just going to go out there and throw hard and stuff. I had no clue what I was doing. And yeah, like I, I must, uh, it was just like painful, you know, it was just very strange. I don't, I don't really get why I was doing those things. Uh, but yeah, no guidance. Yep. None really, none at all. Um, but also it was a different time even. So I don't know for you, would that have been 10 years ago? More than 10 years ago. Yeah, probably like I mean, less, 13, there was 14. less resources. So the problem is there's more resources now, but who's filtering through those resources to deem what's credible and not credible. And that's not happening. So, right. No, that's definitely mm-hmm. it. I mean, mentally too, I think it's just tough to try and throw hard all year round. Yeah. It's just, it's not the right move. Um, so I spent all that time bashing, you know, what's wrong. So I don't know. I feel that what we have going on here is pretty good. Um, so, you know, as far as, and what I didn't go over, what I missed in my rant was my experience and results. So, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm not going to go through the whole name drop, but generally if you do my program and not do the other programs, um, Or even if you did, I mean, in general, we improve, you know, four miles an hour in an off season. So I have a kid, Dom Scalia, shout out to, I can't remember his school, but I'm going to say it's North Brantford. I'm going to say it's North Brantford. I apologize when I get that wrong. I don't even know kids' names, Uh, but I remember I do call him Dom, so he doesn't have a nickname. Anyway, so he's somebody, he threw top end 83 he had he had the injury list already. I can't remember exactly what was going on. I don't think it was anything major, but he had some minor stuff. But he was, you know, I, I think 80 to 82 and with a peak of 83. And right now at his last showcase that was March, his March 1st showcase. Um, but he was 85, 86, and he topped 87. So that's one example. He did the program. I mean, worked his ass off. Uh, did a great job, never missed, followed the system, did everything he was supposed to do, didn't ramp up too early, uh, didn't, you know, actually shut down, proactive, and, I mean, he's getting, he's reaping the benefits of all the training that he did. And as I said, he's not, he's up four miles an hour, three, four miles an hour now, but he's not even, the program isn't designed for him to throw his hardest until the summer. So that now I know that he's got upside, so what can he be at? What will he end up at? I'm not sure, but we know it's not, that's probably going to be better than 87. You know, if he can hit 88, 89, and now we're starting to get the shift. So right. you know, if you're a 80, 82 guy throwing 83, you are a max D2 player. Whereas for him, if he reclasses and gets, you know, by the end of this year, if he's throwing 85, you know, consistently 85 to 87 and can tap 88, 89, and then if we get him for another off season, now he's throwing 88 to 90 and tapping 90, 91, 92. This is the difference between being a D2 guy and a, and a D1 guy. So that's why I'm pro reclass. That's why I'm pro my program. Uh, and, you know, and getting, that's why if I would have had this kid two years ago, he'd be thrown over, he'd be throwing 92 now. Um, I didn't get him. I want That's why I want my, the kids young when they're 14 pre-injury. Um, pre problems, pre bad habits. Um, I had a kid, well, the one I from union. So a good example of a kid who, you know, started young enough. 
he was like, he was 78. He was like 14 or something. And now he throws 94 from 78 to 94. Um, and I've had, and it's not like that's the only one I got. Like I, I have other people that go from throwing in their mid seventies to throwing over 90. Um, and, and I, I was, uh, I worked out with, uh, Salam, you know, and stuff like that when he was, uh, younger, you know, when, before he got to college and stuff. And you could see the difference physically in him as he like developed and stuff. And it wasn't surprising when he started just like throwing the ball a lot harder physically. He looked like he could you know he transformed his body if you go to our instagram and scroll down enough years i mean you can see and that was just a pre-picture when i did that progress for him it was i don't know he was throwing 76 78 and i think at that point in time he was like at 87 88 but when you look at the body transformation of what happened you know it's you didn't give me a 65 240 pound guy you gave me i mean salam six foot and he was like his weight stayed the same. If you go back and look at that picture, it was look at him, you know, nine months ago and he was six foot two oh five, but he was, you know, seventeen percent body fat. And then you look at him again and he was six foot two oh five with a six pack and seven percent. Not that it's vanity, but for him, like the level one thing was to re strip everything down, build the foundation and then build up the right way. There was no, you know, he didn't do all the auxiliaries. It was just, you know, following the system and doing it the right way and knock on whatever. He's been very durable and resilient. And now he's put himself in a position to be able to, you know, if he's, he's that one or two ticks away from getting a shot and nobody looked at this kid when I saw him and when you saw him and said, that kid's probably going to throw 94. Did you look at him and say, did you project 94 out of him? Or did, I don't know how long you, how long after, because I first had him in Middletown at the advanced sports complex, which is not there anymore. So you might've caught him after a little bit of, uh, of transformation. He was, he was still like, I mean, he like, he worked, he worked a lot. So it made sense. But when I saw him, he he wasn't as big and built as he is now. So it's you can't look at somebody and say, oh, you know, you're going to make all these gains and you're going to be, you know, hucking 95. Uh, it, it made sense for him to be throwing what he was throwing when I saw him, which was I think he was around like 86, 87. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the kid just I mean, he just kept on putting on good lean muscle just did the right things and just kept on going after it. It was, uh, it's not shocking, like being in the gym and seeing, you know, how he worked, but I could definitely see how a lot of people on the outside didn't expect him to be throwing 95, 94, you know, it's just, yeah. And here's the thing. It's not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh, it's because of NES. I mean, I gave him tools for the toolbox. He took those ran with them. I had some complete support from the parents and still do. It's the combination of the program, the parental commitment, and the individual's effort. That's what does it. Not in us, not in not uh, athletes. I say intern. I I don't mm-hmm. remember. I don't know. Not the athlete's genetic code because I can't control what I get. Um, but you know he. I mean he had. <clears throat> a pretty decent genetic code to start with a lot of his things and why he looked the way that he did. It was just making the wrong nutritional decisions and he needed that push. 
it's all three components. It's parental, it's parental support, it's the kid's effort, and it's program. If you give me those three things, I am guaranteeing you, ooh, guarantees. Yeah, that's a scary word for me. I the know. last time my friend used that word, he dressed up as a clown costume in Penn Station. I had to apologize. Um, but the thing is, it's incredibly hard to get those three things working at the same time. And I can still get results if I have two out of the three. And I can get results if I have one out of the three, but the amount of results that I get is going to be less. So there's an example. And then right now I have a kid, uh, Gianni Gambardella. He is a pitcher for West Haven. Shout out. Are they Westies? I don't I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, they're, they're called Westies. I don't know what their little animal thing is. Anyways, Gio Gambardella, great kid. So he was somebody that um, he came in. Don't quote me on this. I think he was 86 to 88 and he tapped 90. And as a high school, basically senior, that's really, really good already. Um, he started the program in October. He was 156 pounds. Now he's 180. Um, and he just threw in a, once again, you don't throw your hardest, you know, now because you're in an overtrained state because your body is still recovering from not the week of training, but the whole block of training. He's, he was 90, 91 other day and hit 93. So he's plus, you know, from your range, he's plus four. From his peak, he's plus three. But also, you know, it's March. So, it, yep, this is March. This is March. Um, so, you know, that's a couple of guys. So I've been doing this for a long time. All right. I know what to do. Like, just let me do it. Um, but what do we do exactly? So, I mean, what I just said, he went from 186 to 180. So nutritionally. I'm not a hundred percent mass is gas guy, but there sure is a correlation between, you know, gaining weight and throwing harder. Um, there's a cap to it. So that doesn't mean just a, we want, we're trying to put on good weight. We don't want to put on all fat. I don't care if body fat percentage goes up. If I have a skinny guy and we're trying to get him to throw harder, I am fine with him carrying more body fat percentage because his job is to throw a ball. His job isn't, you know, it's not even like he's a position player where he's got to be lean and he needs elite speed and change of direction. Those things would be compromised with more fat. Throwing a ball. So um, throwing the ball, the weight gain, no matter what it is, it makes you stronger. It makes you be able to generate more force, more torque. And assuming we're addressing the other things that I'm going to cover, it's going to allow you to throw harder. Um, that only works to a, you know, to an extent. So we have guys where, and we correlate and plot. At this weight, I threw this. At this weight, I threw this. And, you know, one of my guys, we figured out that he was somebody. Well, we're going to talk about all the Kujas. Joe Kuja, or JoJo. JoJo came in, and he was 88 to 90, never got drafted. He was 185 pounds. Um, and he went and he trained for a five-month block, and he ended up he went to a bluefish open tryout. He was unemployed and he ended up getting signed by the bluefish. And then he ended up going into affiliated ball and made it to the Arizona fall league. And he threw his highest is 96. So it's not like I got a pre puberty kid. You know, I got a guy who's been through college strength and conditioning. You know, he was a full blown man when I met him yeah. and he was 185 pounds. And he got up to, when he got up to 223 pounds. So 185, 223, you do the math, even though you can't do math. No, that's 38 pounds. I mean, I don't think it's 38 pounds. Whatever. He gained weight, 25, 30 pounds or whatever, and then he was throwing 95, 96. Well, at some point in time, 
he got all the way up to 230. He's like, nah, man, I'm just fat. So it's not like, well, let's make him 260, you know, and then he'll throw 107. So what we learned was it only worked for to go so far, but he added what we started learning as he got older, his metabolism changed. I think it slowed down a little and it became easier for him to gain weight. So I went in with the approach of you have to eat by whatever means necessary. You can eat garbage. It doesn't matter. But what we learned is, and as the years, cause he's multi-year guy. So we're on year. He just signed by, by also with the uh, Atlantic league, Staten Island, something. Uh, so we just signed his contract yesterday. Oh, but, nice. you know, in year six, you know, it's just easy for them to gain weight. But your little skinny, super tiny kid, really, you can eat anything. So mass is gas, yes, to an extent. Um, but it's not, you know, the be all end all. It's a blend of a lot of different things. So nutritionally, that's going on. And yes, if I have a, a somebody who's too fat. Uh, or somebody that needs to lose uh, mass. I'm not going to mass as gas, a guy that's 20% body fat them there. We're trying to strip all that like Salam, strip it all off, get lean, build back up and put the right stuff on, um, strength. So what you don't see in most of these sponsored videos is I don't know people lifting weights. So because social media is what it is, people have to build value not my Instagram, my Instagram, you get the real life, you know, I keep the real boring shit out, but you don't necessarily see the bells and whistles and flash of all the other stuff. I'm just going to show you what I do. Like, I don't, I don't need to impress you through my social media, lie, manipulate, and do a whole bunch of dishonest things and show you stuff where I don't know if it works. Like I'm showing you what we do and what works. And here's the end result. You can you, you get to see Justin Guerrera train three days a week for five months. And then I'm going to show you a picture of what he looks like. And then I'm going to, you know, or show you the matrix of how his exit velocity improved. And then he's going to go on the field and he's going to kill it. There you go. You can monitor every one of my players. Every one of my athletes gets put on the gram every day that they come. They don't know this, but we use it for attendance. Um, we also use it if the parents want to watch to keep track and see their progress. Yeah, but, it's never a good thing when you tell your parents, you know, oh, I'm going to go train. And then, you know, they wind up picking it from the police station because you robbed a, a gas station. Exactly. So I get I have really good kids and I normally don't have that problem. But I have had a couple situations where <clears throat> we've we've uh, me and the parents have had to cross reference because I don't I don't want um, if you're not missing you know, I'm looking, if you miss my session, I'm looking into it. I'm not going to accept you, you know, doing that. And the same goes from the other end and the parents are making an investment and the expectation is that they're coming here. With that being said, if you really wanted to watch my Instagram and follow these people, I have people that have been following the first generation of, of NES social was meaty. So meaty, one of our, athletes he started at the age of 12 so for the past you know six years they saw this little kid this little baby kid like slowly transform and develop and you can if you really cared which i guess well mom cares but you could watch him develop 
right in front of your eyes and see his growth and his accolades and his polar bear Olympics. Cause he's a big kid who's athletic and can tumble. You get to see that. Like there's no more real than that. So to me, I mean, I don't know. I love my social media, even though I have 1500 followers, because if you scroll, you can just scroll for years. Oh, that's so-and-so at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And you get to see long-term development and actual results of people doing actual things. You get to see everything to prove that it's not, that this is different. So, um, strength. So my original, my, my veer off was like the number one way to get better at sports is weightlifting, but weightlifting isn't flashy. People don't put weightlifting on their social because when people look at that weightlifting, they say, well, I can do that at home. So people are trying to, the companies and online programs are trying to build this thing like you have to do this because you've never seen this stuff before. And honestly, on the back end, they haven't seen that stuff before until they stole it from somebody else or they sat in their facility or their room. Oh, let me create this. And it's just... Let me add a Airx pad and a Bosu ball, and we'll close an eye and we'll throw him a Hilo stick while the lights are going off, and we're gonna tie a Vertimax band around them and run around some cones, and then you shoot a ball. I mean, the 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 shit online looks like obstacle courses, like that my kids would do in gym class. Like if you're doing nine, fifteen, twenty different drills and running, that's an obstacle course. And the funny thing is, they're actually having one person go against each other, it's a relay race. It's a relay race with obstacles. Go jump over those four cones and then go under this and then do three burpees and then jump up on a jump up and down and do this and add this and add this and add this. That doesn't resemble performance. So, I mean, strength is one of the best ways. Single leg strength. Um, posterior chain, gluten hamstring development, strengthening your back, strengthening the muscles that decelerate the arm. So we're talking about the, the part of the best ways of throwing harder. And this goes into a kind of a different category, but strengthening the rotator cuff, your rotator cuff is the decelerator for your arm. It's the governor and cars are called governors. I'm probably saying it wrong, but when I was 16 and I put my, the gas pedal down in the Chevy Corsica the speedometer said 120, but it would only allow me to go 108 because it is an internal thing in the car. I'm not a car guy, but it makes it so you can't go 100 and, you know, then you it tops you out. Your rotator cuff is your governor for your body, which means generally it is going to help maximize the amount of force and torque that's generated to prevent your arm from falling off. It's used, the rotator cuff prevents that. So by strengthening your governor, it allows you to get the car, your either your arm to throw harder or you, you could, did you know, well, my bad kids that I hung out with the high school, they're like, you know, you could take the governor out and then you can go as fast as you want. Right. Cause it was Indiana in the mid nineties. They said something similar to that in Michigan about a year ago. Oh, well, I guess it's still going on. Um, but no, they 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 uh, they tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan like a year ago. Oh. You might have missed that. It was the FBI. That's yeah, another thing. But you know, governors, governors, got it. Yeah, no, I'm not worldly enough to know that that was going on. That's terrible, though. Well, I'm gonna forget all that in 24 hours, anyways. Because if it's not in my field, I don't remember it. Um, 
So lifting weights, that is a key component. Not bench squat, clean, and deadlift. If you were doing a program that is football-based program and you're a baseball player, that is the wrong It's the wrong move. It causes imbalances, dominance. You already have dominance within your sport. You throw a ball your whole life, that arm is going to move and function differently than the other arm. And that means that your leg and everything that you load, I was a shot putter. I'm, you know, I did the glide all left side. I was all left side, right side shut down. And then because of my sport being left leg and left arm dominant, all of that became overdeveloped. My body started having more imbalances. My pelvis started to rotate. And before you know it, I'm 23 and I'm having back surgery because I have an L5S1 disc herniation. And that occurred because of improper bench squat, deadlift, and cleaning. I'm a left-handed athlete that only used a barbell. So although I thought I was squatting and loading each foot 50-50, and although I thought my bench, I was loading each arm 50-50, my dominant side that I use for my sport was doing more. So I was gradually, the end result is, rotator cuff, labrum, and my left throwing shoulder, and a blown out disc. I bet you can guess what side the disc was blown out. Left. I should hire you. Yeah. Let's get on that. <laughs> right. So, you know, so that body balance, strengthening the backside is, is important. Part of, you know, pushing off or not pushing off if you don't believe in that, but part of generating force with your legs is a blend of your quads and your glutes. So we are, by strengthening your glutes, we are incorporating a big force generator to help you get more, you know, ground response to be able to transfer it to your core, to transfer it to your arm, to throw the ball harder. So uh, strength is a big one, but you can't, uh, you know, I don't want to just say lift weights. So what are the NES most important lifts to throw harder? Single leg Bulgarians, but everybody calls them elevated split squats. Um, We do... Deadlifting, that is double leg. So I'm not against all double leg, but it's blending single leg and double leg. Um, RDLs, Romanian deadlifts, done the right way for hamstrings. Um, You know, prone rows, any type of pulling. Not excessive pull-ups, but pull-ups and pulling. Pulling is more important than pushing. Glutes and hamstrings are more important than quads. The backside of your body is more important than the front side of your body. It doesn't mean don't train the front side at all. It means train the back side more. You got to look at mobility and flexibility, and that goes all the way down to the ankle, which is usually less of a problem. The knee um, doesn't really apply to the flexibility and mobility component unless they have some sort of knee-related injuries. But flexibility and mobility through the hips to create hip separation, Um So hips are very important. Your T-spine, which allows you to rotate. A lot of people with the bullet points of things that I'm saying, T-spine mobility is is something, it is true. You have more rotation out of your T-spine. You're going to be able to get the ball set back. And ultimately, we're trying to create more torque, whether you're throwing a football or a baseball, to be able to throw harder. But just because they say T-spine mobility doesn't mean that A, that that's the only thing, and B, you still have to do it the right way as it progressed You know, you can work with a whole bunch of T-spine mobility all that you want, but if you don't get the soft tissue work done to help break everything out to maximize that, like muscles have, muscles get tight and shorten and just stretching doesn't always, you know, 
fix the problem. It's that you have to get in there either with some sort of mobility tissue or going to a massage therapist. You know, there's more things. So even just looking at if you see something that says nutrition, strength, flexibility, you know, shoulder stability, they could say all the bullet points, but how are they executing that? Who's following it, progressing it, managing it and making sure you're doing everything right seeing what they can't see what the athletes, not all athletes respond to every exercise. That's all, you know, being neglected. But for us, T-spine mobility, uh, shoulder, external rotation, internal rotation, hips and ankle. That's all things that we address. Core strength. College, a lot of college training and conditioning doesn't even do core work anymore, which is crazy. I'm going to go off on that on a, on a, on a separate rant, but you know, we're addressing the core in all three planes of motion, rotational strength, uh, core stability, linear strength, and then complexing or adding in, you know, rotational power to the rotational strength and stability that we've foundationally created is going to make our rotational power better. If you have no rotational strength, your rotational power is not going to be optimized. And if your rotational power isn't optimized, then you're not getting, you're not, not optimizing you know, <clears throat> throwing harder. So, you know, and also with the strength training, the lifting and your sport that you're performing, things are getting, you know, compromised in general. So all these things are linked together, you know, to work. There's not one specific thing to do like a weighted ball program. It's taking all these things and knowing how to integrate them together and kind of roll it out. And then shoulder stability, I talked a lot about strengthening the rotator cuff, your scapular retractors, the muscles that pull your shoulders back to increase the stability of your shoulder. That's for injury prevention. Um, those are all things that we do also. So taking all of that together, that's how we get an athlete to throw harder. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like another thing too, I mean, um, with – throwing harder and all that stuff we touched on it briefly like the mechanics part um just one of the things like i really liked about training here and training with you is that when like i mean i had a quarterback trainer as well um you know who's just absolutely amazing and we did mechanics stuff there and we like i learned the way to throw hard mechanically for different throws um but that can only take you to a certain point because eventually if you keep doing that over and over again, like the, the equation of throwing the ball harder isn't changing at all after a certain point. Like the thing that changes it is getting leaner. It's actually putting on that muscle mass. It's getting stronger and more flexible to be able to, you know, throw it harder, move your arm faster, do all that kind of stuff. But coming in here, um, you know, the focus was all on the nutrition, lean muscle mass, all that kind of stuff. Like you never tried to tell anyone, well, this is how you throw a ball. You can throw it harder by throwing it like this. Like, it's not that it's, it's sounds, it's not sexy, but it's, you know, gain some weight or lose some weight. If you, if you have to, it's put on that good muscle mass, it's get that core strength, you know, it's T-spine, all that rotational stuff, you know, it's not sexy but i mean it works i'm all for i mean and part of this i can't address this so number one i'm never going to tell an athlete how to throw a ball 
I'm going to ask questions and have, I want my athletes to teach me about their sport because when you train multiple sports and you train different levels of sports, I mean, there's a lot to learn, especially, you know, from the higher up guys that have been doing it so long. So this goes back to, it's a relationship, not a dictatorship, but, um, I am, so I am a hundred percent. I want, I tell all my pitchers, go get, look, fix your mechanics up because that is another bullet point on here on how to throw harder that I don't address. So something like who's pitching, um, or you know, there's guys around in the state. I want you, like, I want my quarterbacks to go to quarterback coaches because I don't know. That's what they do for a living is teach you how to throw, throw Cause I've had, look, my improving velocity typically happens with everybody, but I've had kids, a very few that had terrible mechanics and the, the results that I had were minimal. So throwing the ball the, the right way mechanically is one of, if you want to add that to the sixth bullet point um, that I don't address, but I am all for getting that. It's a, it's, it's integrating all types of things. It's, you know, yes, there's the NES program, but I brought up tissue work. That's why I have my athletes go to, um, PTSM affiliates. No, no wrong, wrong one. That's for rehab. Align well, wellness and massage. Align Christine, wellness and massage. Christine Loomis. That's why I have my guys. And I think I might have gotten align wellness and massage wrong. And I apologize. You might have to edit it out. It is massage, align, and wellness. I go by go to Loomis. That's what I go to Loomis. Schedule point with Loomis. So that's kind of how I leave it. Um, but she is part of this whole process because if I, as I said, if I have somebody that can't rotate and they're not responding to the extra, the mobility flexibility stuff that we're doing, got to get unlocked. If I have a kid that's running and I can teach him mechanically what to do the right way. And we're going to be doing a podcast on how to run faster, but if they can't pick their leg up high enough to, you know, negatively attack behind their hip, and generate force to propel themselves forward, then if my flexibility and mobility work isn't fixing that problem, then I want them to go to her because so she can help re, re uh, you know realign them and to get the muscle to where it needs to be. Now they can go through that movement path the right way, therefore getting the leg higher, therefore being able to apply more force in the ground. So you can add you can add physical therapy to this. You can add massage to this. You can add the mechanical coaching component. You can add SAT prep because ultimately we're trying to throw a ball harder so we can go, well, this is for high school, but you know, all the it's competitive advantage. So yeah, my kid's going to do S he's going to do every, she, they, she, they, sorry, girls. Uh, they're going to do everything if they choose to play sports and go with this path. But whether if they want to be the damn best piano player in the world, then I'm going to give them all the tools and we're going to do all the things they, I don't care what they do. They just have to be disgustingly good at it and better than everybody else. And I don't care what that is. Um, but it's all of these things working together and the family and the kid and me and all of these external resources that are working together to get to the end result. Yeah, no, I think uh, that that really is it. Uh, I think that's a good explanation of how to throw harder and increase your velocity.
if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Also, if you want, I mean, this goes back to if you're an adult, stop resisting social media completely. Uh, f- find me on Facebook, N.E. Simmerline, or on Instagram, N.E.S. underscore sports underscore performance. If you don't know what Instagram is and you're a parent, I would recommend you looking into that because your son or daughter spends hours a day looking at it and it's not a bad thing to research what your kids are doing. But most importantly for you, it's the easiest way when we do something, they're called stories online at the top. You can literally see what we do every single day and it really gives you an idea of you know a sound program and if what you're looking at if you go somewhere else and it's completely wacky or it looks on, it probably is wacky or unsafe. So, you know, reach out there. You could always email me with questions. Obviously you've already listened to this podcast. So you're doing, you're already doing some things right. Um, but I want to help people. I want to minimize the amount of athletes to get hurt. And I don't want to get the college kid with nine injuries because they tried, you know, all these other different things and it didn't work. It makes my job harder it makes it harder and my upside potentially less. And uh, it's not it's not the best thing for them. So, yeah, awesome. Uh, I think that'll probably wrap it up for us uh, this week. Join us next week when we talk about gyms.